Podcraft. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one partners, family, friends, co workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Taking Risks with Strangers. Don't suffer with chit-chat. And I talk with Mo Bruce, and we definitely don't have chit-chat. I know most of us are pretty good at engaging with strangers at times, but, boy, there's something about really becoming intimate and deep and authentic right off the bat. And this conversation with Mo is so inspiring. Mo Bruce, boy, she is passionate about engaging with and being present for the simple and profound everyday moments. And she deeply cares and invests in connection and intimacy. And she's going to be telling stories, profound connections with strangers during her travels in America and Europe. They're so enriching and inspiring. She is also a very talented facilitator and coach and consultant. She specializes in working with leaders and CEOs in both small and large global organizations. So I know you will find her stories and our talks also inspiring. And at the end of our conversation, Mo made an observation she had about me and asked me a question that my answer was surprisingly revealing and personal. So I hope you also get something out of that. So before we get into the segment, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Still Point Wellness. I love having Still Point Wellness as my sponsor. It is my go-to place for relaxation and stress reduction. It is the premier spa in Asheville. I love that all of their various services, including the saltwater flotation and esalen massage, are designed to encourage effortless relaxation and to reconnect your body's wisdom. I, of course, especially love the saltwater flotation or sensory deprivation because I can drift away into total relaxation while atop 1,500 pounds of Epsom salt water in the flow tank. And this experience is the perfect tool to assist in you letting go of stress and anxiety and to reach those deep states of relaxation. So check out stillpointwell.com and mention the code PREPO to get 10% off your first float or Esalen massage. Well, I hope you find my conversation with Mo inspiring. I did. Mo, I'm excited about having this conversation because when we first met some six months or so ago, it was really intriguing to me of so many encounters that you had on the streets of, I think it was Atlanta or, mm-hmm. and also, was it New York also? Yeah. With just how you had interactions with strangers. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious of how that came about for you and mm. what do you do with your contact with just strangers? So what first comes to mind when I think about that question is when I was younger, my brother used to introduce me to his friends when I was meeting them for the first time and he would say, 
This is my sister Mo, and she's going to know your life story in about six minutes. <laughs> so you always had that going always. on. Always. Mm-hmm. Just a deep, deep curiosity of how people live their lives, what they get up to, what I might learn from them. What are some of the things that you learn from those inquiries? Oh, man, so much. Well, the ones that we talked about, Atlanta and New York, and there's another one in Berlin, I learned very different things from each of them. So if we take New York, for example, one of the exercises that I was given to do in New York was to go out for lunch, and I could only say three different phrases when I met people. I could only say, it's complicated, Michael, and one other <laughs> phrase that I don't even Michael. Like. Yeah. Where, where did that come <laughs> it from? It was a course I was on. So I paired up with a buddy of mine. We went to a restaurant. We sat down at the counter. It was like a diner counter. And the guy walks up and he throws down the menu. He's like, so what do you ladies, what would you like? And we look up and I'm looking at him and say, it's complicated. <laughs> and then he's like, wow, you know, people like this, they love that. And he looks at us waiting for us to order. And I just go, Michael. And he starts to think, I think, that we have like mental health issues or something. And then the guy beside me just starts ordering for it. He said, Joey, like, give him the da-da-da. Everybody likes that. And just give him whatever to drink. He starts taking care of us. So he turns, he just starts asking me stuff. And I just go, Michael. And his name's like Mickey or something. He goes, no, Mickey. And I went, Michael. And he went, Mickey. And we started laughing. So there's just an example where I was pinned to not being able to do culture. Hmm. It broke me wide open. I was laughing. I was tearing up in moments just at the beauty of this connection with this stranger on the left and the guy serving us. So that's just an example of more of an experiment compared to just connecting like you and I did, where I might meet somebody and I just am willing to go anywhere they're willing to go. And I'm willing to answer anything anyone ever asks me. So I think because I'm willing to be unedited, and answer any subject, and no matter how intimate, then I feel comfortable to ask somebody else to say. Yeah, I think that's so true, because I know from the work that I do, when I am comfortable with the emotion, yeah, that's going to be the level that I'm going to be able to witness that emotion in somebody else. Yeah, The level that I'm okay with my own tears is the level I'm going to be witness somebody else's tears. Right. So I go between doing silly experiments and then just connecting with people. I did. I'm thinking of the other one in Berlin. I was walking down the steps of this apartment, going out onto the streets of Berlin. And I just had the thought, I was on vacation on my own, I wonder what I could do today that would be expansive to me, you know, to my heart. And as I was jumping off the last step of about 20 steps down onto the streets, I heard the sentence, I'm going to experiment being loved today. And as I leapt off the last step, and I turned to the right and I started walking, there was an old man right there walking and he was kind of hunched over looked around 80 had a raincoat on and a very serious kind of doer face on you know and he's walking slowly and as I walked by him he was swinging his arms as he walked and on the upswing of his left arm I picked up his hand as it was swinging up the way and I turned and I looked up at him and he looked a little shocked to start with you know someone's touching him and then I just kissed his hand And I looked up at him and his face burst into this big smile. And then mine burst into a big smile from his smile. Like he opened and I opened. And then I put his hand back down gently and bowed to him. And we were both just left open, 
open-hearted, better people for that bizarre moment of just being moved to do that. And then I went out about my day feeling so different from that moment. And I walked into a place like Harrods, you know Harrods in London, equivalent but in Berlin. And I went to the top floor, which is the food hall, and it's beautiful. Like they have shelves of jams and then counters of cheese, and it's just like food art or something. And I walk in in this expansive experience, and there's a oyster bar, and there's a seat right in the middle of it, only one seat empty. And I walk in and I sit down and I just look to my left and I, the guy comes over to ask what I want. I said, I ha- I'll have whatever they're eating and I'll have whatever he's drinking on my right. Just, I was in this playful place. So I started talking to these two women on my left who were from Holland. And by the end of the conversation, they're like, here's our email, here's our phone number, you've got to come visit us in Holland. Off they went, which is a kind of typical encounter for me. And this old guy, a different old guy sitting on my right, And he said, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. And I wonder if you're here for business or pleasure. And I said, I'm here on vacation. And he said, will you come back here to this restaurant? And I said, I have no idea. Why are you asking? He said, I have to go now, but I would love to have a conversation with you if you're back here. He had heard the intimacy that I'd had with these women And it was so precious. Again, he was about 80, 75, 80-year-old man. And I was so taken by that. And I said, I promise you. He said, I come every day for lunch, 1 o'clock, in this same seat. I said, I promise you, if I'm in this area at 1 o'clock any day this week, I will come up here and be with you. It's just that, that opportunity presents itself, or I create it unknowingly, or whatever's going on. And it's just so rich and touching and beautiful. So you met him then, the next day? I didn't. I wasn't ever back near that place again. I wasn't. But I'm really curious what we would have talked about, you know? Like, what was he wanting? What do you think he was wanting? Connection, intimacy, realness, openness. Anything but chit-chat and protected, defensive something. So obviously that's what what you want. That's what you seek. Yeah, it is. Yeah, people always say, oh, I hate going to social things. I hate chit-chat, and so do I. So I just don't let it happen. I can't recall what it was, but I think when we first met, you asked something about what what brings aliveness to your life. I think that was one of the first questions Mm -hmm. that you asked or something to that effect, or tell me something very deep about yourself. Yeah, I I said, tell me something that would reveal some things about you. The word reveal, I think, is what had us maybe drop in deeper than normal strangers. So refreshing. Yeah, it was beautiful, and you did. And then you asked me back, and just a a lovely exchange. Do you find people having a real challenge with that at times, the gardenness of... I don't. I know people say, oh, people don't want to be connected and intimate, and you got to be careful, but I honestly don't find that. I think everyone's thirsty for it. And I can't remember ever, if I did, it was a long time ago, someone saying, well, that's a bit personal. or I don't, Well, you're just, too much. It just doesn't happen. Wow. No, I had a funny one in England once I was working, sitting at a bar, and I was talking to the barman as he was serving dinner. It was quiet. 
in a very short time, he told me this, because he knows I don't live there and he can be open, I guess. He told me that him and his wife used to go out with this other couple every once in a while for dinner and connect. And he said, bizarrely out of left field, he fell in love with the man of this other couple and ended up having an affair. Then it came out and their marriage fell apart. And this was it within 10 minutes of sitting at the bar. And then he started laughing and he said, Mo, I've only known you for 10 minutes and I just told you all about my sexual encounters with a man and my divorce. And, and I said, I know, I, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just surprised. I said, I'm not. And then I said, are you with anyone now? And he, he said, this was, it was really tickling. He said, do you know the girl, Beverly, that was on last night? Her and I are having a kind of fling at the moment. And he said, in fact, on our way home, we're stopping at Home Depot to get some chains for some experiments tonight. <laughs> it's like, just no withholds. It's just stunning to me again. So you're these personal therapists for so many people that I, are able to just <laughs> feel comfortable instantly. Yeah, and I guess it might be considered therapy because they're getting to empty stuff that they withhold, but it feels more like a peer exchange to me, not something I'm doing for them or with them. You never feel an imbalance that you're receiving and listening more? I don't, because I think I just, if I want to be hurt, I used to, because I'm a coach as a, a in work, and I used to feel that I kept creating that role. And I remember once being out with a male friend of mine, and he said, I always feel so much better after meeting you. And in my mind, I got a little bit angry, and I was like, well, no effing wonder, because I've been asking you things to help you hear yourself for two hours, and you haven't asked me anything. But I realized when I really looked at it that I was being a victim and all I needed to do was make a request. There's something I'd like to share and I'd love for you to ask any questions and help me get clear about. And then I shifted after that and I just don't allow that anymore and I just make sure I share as well. So what are the ways do you do that? that that's a great segue into wanting to be heard. Do you, do you then ask people to ask you something that they might be interested in or what comes to their mind? Yeah, I might say something like, there's a modality called circling. Have you ever heard of it? I've Greg, heard you and Greg talk yeah. about it. So I might ask them some circling sentence stems, which are things like, um, I might say something like, being with you right now, I notice, whatever, I feel relaxed, I feel engaged, and... I imagine it's because we're talking about something that really matters to me. So you stay very engaged in the present yeah. moment of that. And then I might say, what are you experiencing right now being with me? Or, you know, whatever way I might do that. Or as we did with you, I said, tell me something that would reveal something about you. And afterwards, people often naturally say, and what about you now? And if they don't, I would literally say, well, let me ask me the same question. Now that you have, what might reveal something about me? So I just make it my world would be a phrase one of my old mentors used to say, make it your world. Right. And that's a great aspect of what you're saying, of not being a victim. Yeah. So I think many people become a victim when they're sequestered by talkaholics, yeah. I call it, right? People that are just expressing themselves with no ability or, or challenging ability to be able to inquire or mm -hmm. let in a conversation and have a back and forth conversation. Mm -hmm. So that seems like a really good way to be able to cut in. And do you ever have people, as soon as you 
have that exchange that they're right back to themselves then. I think I must be doing something where the exchange is really good now. So I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing, but I used to find it really off balance. And I remember a friend of mine said, I think you can't help but be the coach in relationships because that's what you do. And once I unraveled that identity, something else is going on. And it must be that I just take my turn if I'm not being asked. So I never feel a victim. I don't anymore. Anything that are off limits for you to share? No. Not that I can think of. I'm curious if there are for you. That's a good one. Is there anything off limits for me to share? I don't think there's things that are off limits at all. I think some of maybe my my dreams or some aspect of my potential, mm. I consider that a little more sacred to who I share mm. with because I want to be met or supported in it. Mm-hmm. Just like if I start to share and then somebody will start to share instantly about their experience. Mm-hmm. That to me feels, it feels very vulnerable to share and I want somebody to hold the space. Got it. So I don't think that it's like off limits, but I'm cautious yeah. in that way. That makes sense. A teacher of mine used to call that don't cast pearl before swine. And it makes sense that you want your tender heart cared for. But that doesn't, as you say, that's not off limits. That's just making distinctions. That feels smart. So you're basically saying there's nothing off limits for you then if you're in the right company. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I know. That's fun. Yeah. I I like that challenge. I like the challenge of that intimacy of to know and to be known on such a deep level. totally. There's also something I'm noticing. um, Sometimes I meet a, I used to meet a friend of mine every weekend for breakfast and we would often end up laughing really hard and crying hard to the point where the restaurant got to know us for that, you know. And one day we were in with my daughter visiting from Scotland and we're sitting in this booth downtown Asheville. And my daughter spotted this young guy in his early 20s, she's in her 20s, with dreadlocks facing the wall at the diner counter. We were in a booth. She's like, Mom, look at that guy's hair. And she said, when you see him turn, he's got such a beautiful face. I wish he would join us for breakfast. Well, my friend gets up because she's also into just being open and playing. She walks over and she said to him, I request you join us for breakfast. And he looks around, he looks at the table of me and my daughter, and he looks at his food and he goes, okay. So he picks his plate up and he comes and he sits in the booth. Then my friend turns to him and says, tell us something you don't want to tell us. <laughs> and you see him going on a search like, what the heck happened in my life right now? Like, did I just get transported or something? He looks around, he said, okay, well, I'm addicted to banjos and I have 23 of them. And then this started this beautiful conversation about his addiction and how he goes and buys them, where he buys them. And just my daughter was sitting in awe that in one minute, you know, she's, brought up in Scotland. They're not as bold as Americans. In one minute, she makes a simple comment. Suddenly, this guy's sitting opposite us having this really fascinating conversation, and I'm looking at her face, and she's just Googling at him, like, in awe. And I just loved the play of it and the stick in the fan to our usual sleepy patterns, and then his awakeness at the question, and then ours. And it's like, why not? since we're here anyway. Do you find it as enriching to do that with people that you know well as opposed to people that you're just meeting? How do you mm-hmm. keep that 
alive and relationships that you've had for a while and that you know well. Well, Greg, your dear friend would be an example where every time we meet up, there's just such a genuine desire for like juicy. So it'd be easy to get together and say, so last time we met, you were just starting to date. How's it going? What do you love? What do you hate? What do you really want that you're not asking for from her? You know, whatever. And again, it gives him a container to empty and then it's my turn. And so I just think by really tracking someone closely and watching them as you're talking and saying like in circling, I notice you just look down and it feels like you shut down. I'm feeling my chest tight. What just happened that I might be feeling this? And off we go again. Yeah, I noticed I got really afraid thinking about, you know, maybe I want to end the relationship and I don't know how and whatever. So that noticing in those questions is, I call it like what a video camera can pick up. There's Mm -hmm. not assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. Anger is usually an assumption as opposed to I just saw that you squinched your eyebrows and you shook your head. Uh What I make up on my mind is that you're angry. Can you tell me what's going on? Exactly. I imagine you're angry. Is that accurate? Or what I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little clenched now and I'm imagining that you're stressed, you know, what's happening or. It's just so real. So do you do that with your coaching clients in business? I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I'm teaching them circling. I'm one guy said recently, could we just circle at the beginning of every session? Because I notice we get very close, connected and real quickly. And then let's do the rest of the session from that. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I I used to work in the corporate world also, so I know how much people are yearning for that connection, Mm -hmm. but they let the social constructs of that business world to dictate a little bit more of them just following what's the norm instead of the vulnerability to have that closer connections. And to me, having those closer connections in the frame of business allows so much more continuity of how people work well together and how people trust each other and how people want to do well for each other. Absolutely. And I think Brene Brown's doing some great work for bringing vulnerability to the workplace. You know, it's something I've been interested for two decades. When I started coaching in Scotland, we were wanting to create organizations that inspired people's souls and that were great for everyone, not just great for a few at the top. So I've always been interested in that. Since I last saw you, I got asked to do a keynote speech in Florida for a big company. And I titled it Awakening the Leader Within, but two slides in, I got the slide to put a big line through leader, changed it to Awakening the Human Within. And I did this talk basically on authenticity, vulnerability, you know, no withholds, open, transparent in the workplace. And when it came to the Q&A, I was very honest that I was brought up by two alcoholics my daughter's in recovery from alcohol, so it's not that I've had a, you know, an easy ride. It's been pretty, I was brought up in a human zoo, basically. I was honest about a lot of things, so they could see I was being vulnerable. Two women stood up at the end. One said, what advice would you have for women who are in powerful positions and were pushing forward all day long, leaning forward, because I showed them a model about leaning forward, pushing collapsed back sovereignty in your power and upright and available. What advice would you have if you're leaning forward all day long, pushing, pushing, efforting, producing, 
you go home and you collapse and you have two kids that you've got pretty much nothing left for and there's no control and there's mayhem. And I just took the question all the way in, what she was asking me, and I noticed I instantly teared up. And here I am in front of a couple of hundred people and it's being videoed for 2,000 people. And I'm standing there just crying on stage because I'm going back to imagine what's it like to be that woman. And I remember what it was like because I was that woman. And I just said to her, well, as I see the images from when that was me, I said, I notice I missed a lot of my kids. And she started crying. And she said, I vowed I would never cry at work and I'm crying. And then she started to chuckle a bit. And then we all hundred chuckled. And then I said, my honest answer is um, either change your life. And if you can't change your life, get support. Those are the two things that come to me. And then another woman stood up and she started crying. It was a real beautiful opening of just what's really here. You have permission. Permission. And she said, you spoke about alcoholism in your family. My brother's drinking himself to death and I don't know what to do. So I just talked her through what had helped me over decades of being living with alcoholics, Al-Anon, for example. But I was absolutely stunned. And the feedback in the main, when it came to pluses, what worked, what did you like? And then the deltas are, what would you want different about this two hours? What do you want to change? The majority of us that like, we have needed this kind of compassionate conversation for years and we need more leaders in the room listening and we need more men in the room listening and we need more of this. So you can tell people are just so hungry for something real at work. The courage to be vulnerable. That takes such a tremendous amount of strength to do that. It does. That's why a lot of people don't. And, you know, when you hear men talk about that as weakness, it's it's the total opposite of that. It takes tremendous strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. It's coming. It's slow, but it seems to be coming. I'm working with 30 millennials down in Austin, and they're up for it completely. Different generation, completely about vulnerability, transparency. And truth. Yeah. The aspect of yeah, they don't want the bullshit they that, don't. that we They won't let us away with it. Exactly. It's magical. Yeah. I really love it. You know what story I would love for you to to talk a little bit about was when you asked, I think it was in Atlanta, that Mm -hmm. you asked, can you walk with this person? Yeah. So I went up to a man and I said, um, I've been tasked today to come out and talk to strangers and make requests of strangers. And I said, I have a request of you. Can I walk with you to wherever you're going and we'll talk about whatever we talk about? That's my request. And I was actually on a course, if you remember, no food, money, or credit cards, and we had to make enough money to survive in the week. I had made so much money, and I was eating well, and I was kind of bored of that speech of, I have no food, money, or credit cards. Can I help you do something? Can I coach you? Can I put up your tent to display your art? And I had plenty of money, so I thought, I'm going to just try something different, because I can. So I said to this guy, my request is that we just talk about whatever we talk about. And he was about six foot two, maybe African-American guy. It looked like he worked in the bank. He had a suit on. Very big. It looked like the size of a football player almost. And he looked at me and he looked a little bit like, what the heck do you want? Look on his face. No wonder, right? And I said to him, what are you noticing right now? And he said, I think you're going to ask me for money or to sign something. I said, I promise you, I'm not going to ask you for money or to sign something. 
And we're walking along and he, I said, what are you noticing? He said, I still don't believe you. I think you're going to ask me for money or sign something. I said, what's your name? He said, Larry. I said, my name's Mo. I said, Larry, I have a, at the time she was 25. I have a 25-year-old daughter. Her name's Caitlin. She lives in Scotland. I promise on her life, I am not going to ask you for money or to sign something. And he had a, he cracked a smile. I said, what are you noticing now? And he said, I don't think you're going to ask me for money or to sign something. I said, I'm not. I said, do you feel safe with me yet? And he said, not completely. I said, all right, what else do you need to feel safe? Ask me anything you want. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I own properties in Asheville. I rent them out and I live off the rental income. That's all I do. I used to be a corporate coach and I'm on sabbatical for, at that time, like eight years or something. And I said, how are you doing now? What are you noticing? He said, I feel really totally safe now. And he was lightened up and smiling. And I said, um, he said, you know, Mo, it's really interesting that you would stop me and do this today. And I said, why is that interesting? He said, it's my daughter's 15th birthday today. And I've been running around all day, like I have been right now, getting the cake, getting the present, getting getting her dress out of the dry cleaners, doing, 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 running like crazy, stressing out like mad. And I'm noticing just the way that you've been with me in this walk, that just being present with me has really transformed something in me. He said, and I'm realizing that all my 15-year-old daughter needs tonight is for me to be present with her. And I jokingly said, Larry, wouldn't that be an amazing birthday present? And he laughed, and then we got to his destination. And he said, thank you so much. I said, no, thank you so much for playing. And we hugged each other, and he teared up, and so did I. And that was it. Probably never see that man again. And it was just stunning. It's interesting that you said, thank you for playing. Yeah. Instead of thank you for sharing. Yeah, well, we're out experimenting. We're playing. We're making a game of life. We're making a game of connection. Yeah, and when we do that, it takes the pressure off people to do it right, do it a certain way. Yeah. We're all just playing, and if we have that attitude, exactly. not taking advantage, but we play off of each other, yeah. play with each other. Yeah, and I said playing, and I didn't mean in a way of lightening it or anything or diminishing it. It's like, yeah, thank you for playing with me in this chat. And do you feel that with most people, that that's what it is, that you're playing with people? Or was no, that just a different that was because okay. I was in some experiment on the streets of Atlanta. But no, I don't really often, I don't normally at all feel like I'm playing with people. What does it feel like? Getting intimate, connected, sharing at a heart, heart level. I had another one I didn't tell you that day I want to share from Atlanta. One of the days when we were in the getting money for surviving, the guy who was leading the course gave us a bunch of books of his that he'd written for free. He gave us free, and we could we could sell them for $10 to make money to eat. And one was called Laughing with God. And I was on the streets of Atlanta still, and I walked up to this guy, construction worker, and I held the book up, and he looked down, and he read the title. And I said, I'm on a course, no food, money, or credit cards, and I'm selling these books to make money to eat lunch or dinner today. Would you like to buy one? And he looked at it. He said, I would really like that book, but I, I can't, I don't have money. I can't afford it. And I said, would you read this book? 
if I gave it to you, because I, I only really want people to buy it if they're going to read it too. I don't want them just to buy it out of pity. And he looked at the title and you could see he was touched by it, whatever his spirituality or religion was. And he said, oh, I would definitely read it. And I said, you can have it. And he went, no, 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 I can't. I don't want to take it because you could sell that for money and get your food. We started wanting to take care of each other. And he goes into his pocket and he had like a dollar forty. And I said, honestly, like you can have it for that dollar forty if you want or nothing. And he's like, I really would like to read that book and I want to give you this dollar forty. So I said, all right, great. And it was like a great exchange for me. So I turn around and I said to him, by the way, you have no idea how excited this is. This is my first money today. I will make plenty. I have for four days. But I lived in Britain most of my life. I love tea. I'm going to go buy a cup of tea and I'm so excited to have a cup of tea. And I'm all lit up and so we're bowing to each other. And I turn away to go across the street. And as I get halfway across, he shouts. I think we introduced our names. He's like, Mo. And I turn around and he waves me back. And I come back and he found like 56 more cents in his yeah. other pocket. And he said, I found this in my other pocket. I just want to give it to you. And I teared up again. I was like, look at us. Two strangers really for each other, wanting the best for each other. Those encounters, doesn't make you just have a lot of hope for humanity? Well, I think it's even closer to the bone than that. It's like, I don't even have to have hope for the future. That's here now. That happened. <laughs> that would happen tomorrow if I go out and I'm willing to take risks, make requests, be open, willing for people to reject me, willing for people to say no and get upset and love them anyway and love me anyway. What I'm more fascinated about is how we don't do that. Like I've had plenty of those and I don't do the ones that are that risky that really crack us open. I do the safer ones like meeting strangers in coffee shops and just talking to them, which I can do that with my eyes closed. Hmm. What, what are the most riskier ones that you... Those are risky ones, walking up to strangers in Atlanta and asking if they want to buy a book or... One young guy, he also was a construction worker with his hard hat on, and I told him I need to raise money for food. And I said, can I coach you through lunch and you buy me lunch? And he, he's like, all right. <laughs> you know, he's like 25. And we sat down and I said, do you know what coaching is? And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions and you're going to hear yourself speak about an issue and you're going to resolve it just because you've been given time and space to think about it and feel about it. He's like, all right. And I said, do you have a topic? He said, yep. <laughs> what is it? My girlfriend. <laughs> right in. And we do this coaching, and then he gets up and buys me lunch. So, you know, that feels really risky in the sense of, like, you can just imagine somebody saying, like, F off and get out of my face and stop selling me stuff or whatever. So that feels for a while a little bit scary, and then it just doesn't. But I remember the first few days, I was like, what am I doing? One guy, when I said the whole spiel, he said, I don't believe you. I said, I promise you, I'm on a course with no food and money and credit cards. I hear you and I don't believe you. He's a tourist from Europe. And I just said, I live in Asheville. I have properties that I don't need money. I have money. You know, I have enough money to survive. This is an experiment to get me out and take risks. And eventually he settled and then bought one, you know. So they're very different than just comfy because if people really do want to be intimate, which they do, and I'm willing to, I can do that really quickly. So I guess as I'm speaking this to you, I'm wondering, I'm curious about my edge. And am I willing 
after this conversation to live more of my edge and open even further and wider and deeper. And maybe I don't need to. Maybe the, that intimacy is plenty, you know? I think for me there's times where how I want to open up wider and deeper is really being present in the moment that my decisions are really based on the moment as opposed to what I think I should be doing or agenda that I have or a task. And I remember that there was a experience that I had some years ago. I was telling my wife that we haven't traveled in a while and I told her I was really getting kind of bored. There was really no excitement of how being in a strange city, how I'm so open and, and aware. And she said to me, well, why don't you just go out tonight in Asheville and just pretend you're in another city? Nice. I'm like, honey, you know, how am I going to do that? She goes, you know how to do that. <laughs> so I remember I got out of the car and I just spun my body around and just where I felt for going, going down <laughs> alleyways that I didn't go down and so forth. Awesome. And I remember walking into Malaprops and, and as I walked in, I said, nope, I am not going to go to the self-help books where I always go. <laughs> where do I want to go? And I just allowed my body to go. And I remember it took me to th this counter that had a pamphlet of the Declaration of Independence. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Declaration of Independence. All right. So I paid $4.00 put it in my pocket, had this magical night, the rest of the night going, went into a restaurant, sat at a place I don't sit, and a woman was sitting next to me. We had a very truthful conversation. And in the conversation, she started talking about the Declaration of Independence. And I just remember just pulling that out of my breast pocket and say, well, let's just check this. And it was just so beautiful awesome. of that openness yeah. of whatever you call it, the mystery, the magic yeah. that comes from being That's wonderful. so open to the moment and unfold. I so I want more of that moments to really yeah. show myself in that spontaneity and not some construction that I have created that I have to reinforce. Yeah, I love that. It's not often that I find that I meet people who are leading on that, and I don't know how it is for you, but one time in Asheville I walked into a coffee shop and I was working at a table and I get up to go to the bathroom and I passed this guy who had a book on the table and it was called something about the creative class, the emergence of the creative class or something. And I really was intrigued by the title. And I came back from the bathroom and I saw the book again and I stopped and I said, would you mind if I read the back of your book? I'm curious what it is. So I pick it up and I start reading the back of it. And he said, I'm a really slow reader. If you want, you could take that book and read it, and I'll meet you when you've read it, and you can tell me what it's about. And I thought, wow, here's a guy after my own heart, you know? And I looked at him, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And he said, when do you want to re-meet? And he said, would Friday be too soon? This was Monday. And I said, no, Friday's fine. And I said, I'd like to throw another piece in the game. I said, when we re-meet, I'll tell you about this book, and you come back with three short vignettes that reveals something about you as deep and wide as you're willing to go. And he said, you're on. So we met on the Friday. We sat down and I said, I don't want to talk about the book first. If you're willing, we'll come to that. I'd love to hear your stories. And he told me three stunning stories that were so revealing about a very unusual lifestyle and some stuff he's done. And it was just amazing. And then I said, okay, about the book, I said, you don't need to read this book. Based on the way you met me and how you were with me and your three stories, you'd be wasting your time. 
you're already living all this. Hmm. And he said, cool, I won't read it. I'll put it back to the library. (laughs) And we have been dear friends ever since. And he said, by the way, I wrote a blog about you after we met. He said, you want to read it? I said, of course. So I read the blog and it says, who is this woman? Is she my new friend? Is she my new lover? Is she my new coach? And I said to him, I know exactly what I am. I'm your new coach. Because first of all, I was in the 12-step for love addiction and I was not dating. No flirting, no dating, no running energy. So I knew I wasn't his new lover. For sure I could be his friend. But um, the day that I met him with the book, he was starting his new business that day. And for five years in Scotland, I used to help entrepreneurs start businesses. So I said, I'm your new coach. And we began a coaching relationship for months. I just gave my time free for a startup. And then he introduced me to circling, which has transformed my life. I've just done nine months of training of circling. That all came out of him being willing to, to play. It was stunning. He, that man has absolutely changed my life. What's his name? Go get, give a yeah, shout out to him. Yeah, his name's Brett McCall. I'm glad that you had that experience. Oh my gosh, Mo. yeah. Hmm. And I thought I'd done a million modalities as a coach. And when I went to the first circling evening, I thought, I don't know why I'm doing this. I've, I've got enough modalities for lifetimes. And I got cracked open by being circled by the local facilitator, Kathy. And my life's not been the same ever since. Can you tell us a little bit about circling? Yeah. So it started 20 years ago with a guy called Guy Zenstock. He went to Burning Man and he took mushrooms with a friend of his, and they had an incredibly intimate connection between them. After they came out of it, they were like, what the heck was that that happened? It was so beautiful and stunning. And they began to take it apart. What was it? What were the facets of it? And birthed circling from that, and it's now all over the world. And if I try to summarize it, it's if we were circling you right now, there would be a group of us, or it could be one-on-one, but usually it's a group. We would be all putting our attention on you. Our main interest would be getting your world. What's it like to be you? We would be following what's alive with no agenda of our own. We'd be getting really curious. And we would be revealing the impact on us of listening to you. I'd be saying things like hearing you say that I feel deeply touched. I feel really curious about this particular thing. And as I get your world, you get your world deeper. And often it results in, even though that's not your agenda, it results in openings, awakenings, and healings. But you do not go into it for that. You go in just to follow what's alive, be fully present, get your world. It's really stunning. just came to me of how so many parents could be trained in that. Gosh, How beautiful that would be. Incredible. Yeah. To have that part of their parenting repertoire. I host circling Wednesday nights when I'm in town, so you're welcome to come. We're having one tomorrow. Mm. Come any Wednesday you like. Thank you. We'll look into that. And then Kathy, who leads Circling Asheville, hosts for beginners regularly too, getting ready to put people through deeper training that we've just been through. Any offerings for some risk-taking? Or just offerings in, in general? Well, I think two things maybe come to mind. One is experiments have been incredibly helpful to me to open me. So making up experiments, trying them, doing things that are a little bit wacky and not in a way that's flippant with people. 
still mindful. Like I was watching that guy Larry in Atlanta the whole time, and if he was, if there, if he wasn't going to settle down and was feeling too stressed out, I would have just said, "I notice you seem stressed, and we've been in this for a few minutes. Would you like if I just left you alone?" You know, really tracking. So experiments are always really good, and otherwise, for me, I just really. If you want connection, you can have it, is the thought. You can really have it if you're willing to be vulnerable and open and revealing and curious. You can make it your world. You don't have to suffer chit-chat. Hmm. Oh, that's a beautiful, I, I love that last line. You don't have to mm-hmm. suffer chit-chat, people. No. At this last circling deep dive weekend, the last of the nine trainings, a group of people came back here for dinner. And I thought about letting the dinner just be whatever it is and not attempt to facilitate connection. But I noticed a desire, because the majority of our conditioning has us just be from the neck up, you know, in chit-chat. And I'm not saying everything has to be deep, but it just felt like a rich group of people to stay connected. And I said to them all, how would you feel about finishing the training with this dinner with a circling sentence stem and the sentence stem is what I would like you all to know about me right now and that could be anything from how you feel right now in the moment to what I want you to know about right now is I'm really excited that I'm going to make a documentary next year I mean it could be anything but preferably from the heart down not something like you know I like playing dominoes so we did that exercise and I was absolutely stunned what came out of that I didn't prepare, that's another thing I like, is not to prepare what I'm going to say, is just see what's alive, even if it takes me a moment to go on a search before I answer something. So I wanted to listen to everybody first and not think about it. So when it came my turn, I said, I'm going to need a moment because I have no idea what I'm going to say, even though I made up this, this, you know, this game, if you like, or this evening. And I went on a search and I said, what I want you to know about me right now is, and I started looking around this house. Like, what do I want them to know about me right now? And I started to see this house. And as you can see, if you look around it, it's got a beautiful flow to it, the furniture, and it's every piece has been hand-picked, the wooden floor. It's just a sacred space. I mean, even the living room table is a circular table. If you look through the glass, it's a cog from a piece of machinery from a factory in the 1800s, for example. So I'm looking around the house, handmade dinner table, carved wood. And I'm looking around and I said, what I want you to know about me right now is I'm just noticing that I own and have bought the most stunning house. And it must sound ridiculous that I'm saying that. I've been in it for four years. But I'm just noticing that I I live here and that I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, after 35 years in Scotland. And I'm sitting around a dinner table with a group of people that really want intimacy and connection. And the reason it's such a shock to me right now is I was brought up in Scottish culture where they don't really talk about anything from the heart, you know, unless they've had a few pints. But in my family, there was a lot of aggression and and fighting and no, no connection and intimacy, all the opposite. And I got this moment where I felt like My dad died a couple months ago, and I felt like I just had popped out of the grip of all the DNA of my family and my father and his 
alpha male military, don't bisect it, don't dissect it, just do it. If you're going to do a job, do it properly, whatever all that is. I had just for a moment popped out of that and I realized I don't live in a human zoo anymore. I'm with people who want to love and are love and are loving and I'm in a beautiful home and I didn't make status the most important thing like he did and he failed to get, he ended up in a council house paid by the government. He had the target so gripped about status that he didn't get it and I had this moment where I felt like I'd just been born onto the planet as me without my father's stuff all, you know, wrapped around my karma. And I was absolutely shocked. I was like, I, I don't know if you guys are getting this, but I'm literally looking around going, wow, I have a, that's my piece of furniture. Like, when did I get this? And I think it came when he died in August, I was at a circling training with the guy who invented it. And he spent two hours with me. And he said, who are you on the planet without your father? And I said, I have no idea yet. It's too soon to tell, but I'm really curious. And I think this was the answer coming. Who I am is somebody who's free and light and wants to be kind and doesn't want drama and aggression and doesn't want alcohol in, this, in my life at least not unhealthily. And somebody told me later that week, without even knowing that story, do you know we're in a time in the, where the Venus and whatever's in Mercury and whatever, where all our family karma like can just fall away and die and you can be free? And I said, are you kidding me? And I told her the story and I said, that just happened to me this week. And that all came from, let's have a, sharing around the table of what I really want you to know about me right now. And every morning since then, it's about three weeks, I wake up and I check, is, is it all back gathered in me yet? Am I heavy? Nope. I think the hooks that were all on my back, they all unhooked, pinged off, and the sense of freedom. Can happen anytime. Anytime. You're inspiring. Ah, uh, thank you. This conversation was so inspiring. Thank you. The thing that I noticed most about you since I met you, this is only our second time, but the first time and the second time of meeting you is you feel very open and soft and available and no edges. And I'm really curious about what your journey's been to bring you to that. Because most of us are protected and fearful and edgy. And I'm not saying you don't have fear. And the sense I get of you is open, soft, available, and no edges. That's a nice perception. I would love to smooth more of my edges that I know about myself. Mm. But I think that some of the experiences that I had, I think one of the biggest experiences that took off some of that edges to open up was 21 years ago in February, we had a baby that died in birth. Mm. And that was the most transformational moment of my life. Yeah. The aspect of having this expectation of who I would be as a father of another child. We, our son was three years old at the time. And when that happened, this opening of illusion, like experiencing life and death at the same moment, and it happened in our home. We were going to have a home birth. 
And I remember the moment that I had this realization knowing that she wasn't breathing and the, the EMTs came and they took her away and to the hospital. I could feel this pull in the back of my head, like going down. I was being pulled down this, this black hole. And there was this realization of, wait a second, that's all illusion. That's not a reality. I don't have this child that, that's alive. I'm not a father of two. What I have is my wife who is moving through this experience in the other room with the midwives. I have my son that's upstairs. And there was this huge realization to look at what I have in life. And the humbleness around that, which included stopping an autopsy because it was a potential homicide, going to the hospital to stop that, bringing our baby home to bury her on our land, which was not our land we were renting, and to build a casket, which I built two things in my life, a cradle for my son and a casket for my daughter, these bookends. And I remember getting the wood from Earth Haven, which is the Echo Village next to us, and bringing these planks of six-foot wood, carrying them on my shoulder. The moon is out. It's about 11 o'clock at night. And just the weight of that whole experience just crumbled me in the moment. And I thought at this moment of how many of the ancestral fathers I'm following in the footsteps of actually burying their child. And I felt the support of that energy and that huge humbleness of all of that experience kind of made me feel like if I'm moving through this and moving through it with grace or moving through it with awareness, there's many things that I can just kind of be subtle to be open to, to not have the edges around, to never imagined. I've always been such a lucky guy in my life. A lot of beautiful golden touches. So instead of asking, why me? Why is this experience of, of actually then, okay, I'm going to embrace some more of what life has given me to try to understand, to show up in a different way show up in the way that I want to show up. So I think that experience, mm. when that came to me, I had no idea that I was going to share that with you. Beautiful. And that just came to me about perhaps why I feel this openness. Her name is River of Hope. Mm. When, when we named her, the three of us had to agree on a name. And we came with the name of River, and we were watching Dances with Wolves one night. And I thought, Dances with Wolves, Stands with Fists, why not River of Hope? And that energy of that name has been with me through this 20 years, this experience. So I kind of walk with that, that experience to me of, I don't know what kind of hope that is in my life, but it, there's a flow that's been very different. So I think the humbleness, the humility mm -hmm. of just being a human being in this life and to embrace experiences like that. Mm. I feel hugely impacted by that story mm. as a mother of a daughter of course as a parent and just seeing the images as you spoke through that feels so profound yeah thank you thanks for listening and asking yeah what's been a beautiful healing process is my son's girlfriend she's turning 21 so the closeness of age and emma i'm gonna give a shout out to my sweet daughter in love, Emma, having that feeling towards a daughter that I get to have in some capacity, because if I 
imagine the daughter that I would want to connect with. She has so many of the qualities. She's so incredibly present, incredibly appreciative, and so groundful and thoughtful and humorous and so forth. So to have some of that connection has been a real healing process just in the last few years. So it's it's a beautiful ways of some things come up come around with gifts yeah. I don't think I do have any more to ask now just taking that all in so I really am grateful that you were willing to share that story to be able to connect with people in certain tragedies or sorrows we all have our losses mm-hmm. you know many people may look at my life differently if you know not knowing the story and but there's I don't want to call it a scar you know it's it's that life experience, you know, that gave me a huge awakening. So I think that first question that, that you asked, I think that's been the most influential. Yeah, it feels like the thing that stood out to me is the grace that you moved through it with, given the size of it. And the grace that I saw my wife move through it. I was wondering it, you know, about her. The incredible process that she went through of years of different kinds of grieving, but always being so inside herself and present and yet carrying this this loss us doing it together and growing from it as a couple instead of the other direction which some couples take i think you know being brought up as i say in scotland with certain energy of a father when i feel into your energy and your softness and your kindness and the relationship you have with your wife and the love you have for your son and his girlfriend and the way you dealt with this i'm honestly like in awe of the feel of you as a man. Mm. Thank you. I'm mm. going to take that in. I'll breathe that in. Mm-hmm. I would love to have tea sometime yes. with you. And yes, I was just thinking hear that. Hear much more about any other story you want to share about what shaped you to be this man. Thank you, Mo. Thank I really you. enjoyed this. Thank you. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us. Thank you.